Friends, welcome to Sci-Fi Science Comedy Debate. Look at you lovely people coming out on a Thursday night. Can I have a cheer for the people who have come to Sci-Fi before? Yay! Who are the Sci-Fi virgins? Make some noise. Yay! <laughs> you put your hand up. That was really sweet. <laughs> And modest. Uh, we, we get beautiful people here at Sci-Fi. Welcome. You are one of us. Uh, and you will be as loud and raucous as the rest of us by the end of the evening. Um, <clears throat> for those who are uninitiated, I'm sorry, I am phlegmy. That's going to be a feature of tonight. Uh, we're all made of carbon. Um, <laughs> for the newly initiated, uh, Sci-Fi is a place where we bring together the sharpest minds in science and comedy and make them debate critical issues in a silly way. No one knows why we do it or how to make it stop. <laughs> My name is Alanta and I'm your host and your adjudicator. Tonight and tonight we ask, should we search for life out there? Since humanity became conscious of a universe stretching out far beyond us, we've wondered, are we really alone or is there life out there? And have we offended it? Statistically speaking, after 13.5 billion years and with 200 billion trillion stars in the universe, it seems impossibly unlikely that life hasn't evolved more than once. So in the famous words of Fermi, where are they? SETI employees and astrophysicists have developed increasingly imaginative, read desperate theories as to why we haven't seen aliens yet. Uh, maybe we just missed them, having evolved after they fell into extinction, or maybe we're here before them, or they just haven't reached us, or perhaps they evolved into post-biological entities and are in stasis until an approaching heat death of the universe makes it cool enough for them to run their supercomputers without their CPU processor overheating. Perhaps. <laughs> Or maybe they're just not that into us. <laughs> Have we really properly considered what happens if we do actually make contact? And at the end of the day, what is more scary, that we are all alone in the universe or that we aren't? To resolve this existential skirmish, I welcome to the stage the affirmative. We have the interstellar Dr. Sarah Webb. <laughs> Benji Metha. And Jess Meyer. And on the negative, it's the earthly Claire Kenyon. Rowan Long. And Alistair Tremblay-Birchall. All accounted for. Excellent. We're off to a good start. Uh, the last thing I heard the team say as I walked down the stairs was, hope we don't ruin it for you. So that's <laughs> ringing in my ears. Sarah, welcome. This is your first sci-fi. It is. Would you like to speak into the microphone? Because we, we're a podcast. Um, welcome. Thank you for having me. I am so excited. It's so Like excited. aggressively excited. I'm passionate about this topic. <laughs> I'm so pleased to hear that. Um, you talk a bit in your work about conspiracy theories. What is your favourite astrophysics space-themed conspiracy theory? There are so many good ones, but I think my favourite is that the International Space Station is not real and that the astronauts are in a green screen at NASA uh -huh. uh, and everything is just fake. 
and I send things up to the International Space Station. It's painfully expensive. It's definitely not fake. <laughs> but these people are like, no, it can't be because the women's hair looks weird. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's microgravity. And they're like, well, it should be flopping about. And I'm like, it does. If you watch the videos, anyway, that's my favourite conspiracy theory is that... Is the hair is the main there. tool that you use to combat conspiracy theories? <laughs> hair? Hair. Yeah. Yeah, a okay. A lot of the times, yeah. That's a hot tip for young players. There you go. All right. Uh, use hair as your way to refute conspiracy theories. Benji, welcome to Sci-Fi. This is hey. your first Sci-Fi. That's exciting. It is. I'm very excited. <laughs> um, what is one thing about astronomy that you wish everybody knew? There is so much about astronomy that nobody knows, which is why I love it. You don't have to look hard for open questions, but one thing, my favorite space one. fact <laughs> is that like, um, the universe is expanding. And the way that we know this is because we look, when we look at things far away from us, its light actually changes color. So light is different wavelengths. And if you take blue light and you stretch it out, it turns red. And so because things far away from us are a different colour, we can see that the universe is getting bigger over time. And I just think that's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. That's very cool. I enjoy I've had previous partners who have been like, you're putting your science communication voice on there. And I oh. heard, it, heard it right then. That's great. Oh, I'm enjoying how much enthusiasm and excitement uh, we have on the stage tonight. Jess, welcome back to Sci-Fi. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jess is a barrister. Jess has been a barrister for three years. Round of applause. Don't, don't, don't clap a lawyer. It's disingenuous. <laughs> Jess, uh, what advice as a barrister would you give... What legal advice would you give an alien? If you are a war criminal <laughs> and someone calls you a war criminal... Don't bring a defamation claim against them. <laughs> That's just good life advice, I think. Something for everyone. <laughs> so great to have you, Jess. We're going to throw over to Team Negative. Claire, this is your first ever sci-fi. Welcome. Hi. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Um, now, you're an astrophysicist and I've put you on the negative. I was curious, are most astrophysicists pro-finding alien life? Like, have I made your life really hard tonight? Well, I mean, I was going to say only the dumb ones. Oh. Uh, Is that the... F yeah. Right now. <laughs> wow, we're off to the smack talk. I like to say that life's a game, right? Life's a game and we should learn everything we can about life and that's what science and the universe is. But I also have just watched Jumanji <laughs> and people's lives disappear and they don't come back. We I'm just going to leave you with that. Is a lot of your academic work based on Jumanji? So... I wish. That would be so cool. Uh, I have just finished my thesis, my PhD thesis. You can clap. It took me 10 years, so I know what hard work is. And uh, No, it's not... I think it would have been easier if I'd based, you know, um, quasars on... You know, the physics of quasars on Jumanji. OK. Um, but, no, I went the hard route and I went computer simulations and observations and I'm not doing it from now on. OK. That's no smart. one's going to make me. I like it. Well, if you're looking for a PhD topic, Jumanji is free and available for you out there. Rowan, welcome back to Sci-Fi. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. It's so good to have you back. Um, now, you're a birder. 
a twitcher, is that the right technical term? Yeah, you yeah. can re-identify as that sometimes, yes. <laughs> I don't want to label you. Uh, no, it's all good. Uh, I was curious, uh, as someone uh, in the bird space, how many UFI, UFO sightings would you say are birds? Yeah, I would say, as a scientist, I would say somewhere between 0% and 100%. Okay. Somewhere in that space. Right. But it is, it is in there. Like, there's some. Would you say that you require further funding to I, narrow that I down? I would say that. <laughs> I, I would say that. Uh, and I think I'd need quite a lot of funding. Somewhere between $0 <laughs> and 100% of the dollars. Okay. How, how many dollars have you been reward, awarded so far, to? Zero. Okay, okay. There we go. Um, we might throw up to Alistair. Welcome back to Sci-Fi. Thank you, Alita. Welcome back to you. Thank you. Yeah. I think there's been a, a cheeky pandemic uh, since you were here last. So. Yeah. Were you running a lot during the pandemic? Were you was I running a lot of these during the pandemic? I was running them in my, my bedroom alone with, you know, the, the, the pillows with the debaters. Sure. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Blank. <laughs> sure. Blanket audience. I get it. I, just don't like, I know what doing gigs at home We were like. all very alone. Um, didn't feel right to be doing sci-fights during the pandemic. It felt, uh, felt a little bit like it was too scathing, like uh, a little too immediate. Really. A, lot of, a lot of just being online was just a science debate. Yeah. yeah you know. <laughs> it's the science debate along the way that yeah. we had. Um, <clears throat> Very early on in the pandemic, I was like, I believe too much in live events. I will not do an online comedy event. <laughs> and two years into that, uh, I ate my hat and I started <laughs> doing online science comedy debates. Um, I was just curious uh, what prep you did coming to Sci-Fi tonight. What do you... You know what? I... She's laughing. Why? I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why you would ask such a loaded question. Um, I read the words of Stephen Hawking's. Oh yeah. And which ones? I, and I've watched some. Eh? Which I went. Words? I read the whole brief history of time. <laughs> okay. And uh, no, I just he once he said he shouldn't look for life. Okay. And that's it. All right. Well, yeah. look forward to seeing. That, why did you ask me that? <laughs> why did you show me off as so unprepared? <laughs> it's a trap. This is, you're you're on their side. <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> I'm on the side with the audience. So be, be nice to me. Good. Um, all right. Well, we'll just cover some rules for tonight because we always have more fun when there's some rules. Um, now, we may be alone in the universe, but so be kind to one another. This is a reminder to both teams to not defame your opponents. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you heard me. Now, life is short, and tonight's room booking is even shorter, so each debater has eight minutes. If people go longer, I will start singing the one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple peeper eater. <laughs> I don't know why that was such a cornerstone of my primary school <laughs> education, but it is firmly in there, and uh, tonight's the night. It might come out. Um, now, come the end of the debate, you, our trusty audience, will be called on to decide who the winning team is by shouting, because science has proved the loudest person in the room is always the most correct. 
Now, our first speaker tonight is Dr. Sarah Webb. Sarah is an astrophysicist dedicated to sharing the wonders of astronomy and astrophysics with a wide audience. Her research includes chasing the counterparts to fast radio bursts, gravitational wave events, studying flare stars, and applying machine learning to astronomy and cognitive decision support. So that's cool. Welcome, Sarah. I'm also very short. That should be on my bio too. (laughs) Alrighty. You guys are going down because there is no logical reason to say no, we should not search for life. I can't think of one and I'm very curious to hear what you're going to say. But by the end of my talk, I think you'll just need to go home and that's okay. So should we search for life out there? It's a massive question, right? For starters, life out there when we talk about out there, is immensely vast. Our universe is at least 45 billion light years across in radius. It is enormous. We think there's over 6 trillion galaxies, and if you counted all the stars, you would be here until the end of time. There's even more planets, because we know that most stars have multiple planets. And when you think about that and you think about the amount of time that we've had, it seems completely inconceivable that there is not life out there, that we are it. If we're it... And that's kind of sad. There has to be something good out there. And that's where my hope comes from, is that we can learn more about ourselves from looking out there. So, yes, we should be searching for life out there. The one reason reason why I think it's important is because it is the one way we might truly get to understand ourselves and our place within this entire universe. By the end of this debate, I have no doubt that me and my wonderful teammates will have convinced you that this is the only point of call. We can only search for life out there. If we turn our back, we might be destroying our own lives in the process. Throughout history, humankind has endeavoured to explore the unknown, to push the bounds of our knowledge. Imagine if Galileo didn't look to the sky and get curious. Imagine if Darwin didn't study the finches or the Curies didn't study radiation, although that is questionable now. We wouldn't know anything. Our life is full of wonder because we have made it so. We are curious creatures by nature. It is what we do. And if somebody thousands of years ago had a sat down next to their stone and said, this is it, we wouldn't be here. We would be back then. We would have no technology. We'd have no wonder. We'd have no civilization into the future when we really think about it. It would be an unprecedented achievement for us to find life out there. It would answer one of the biggest questions, which is, are we alone in the universe? Are we special? I think that question of are we special is like the crux of so many things in this life. Because if we're not, maybe that will make us reflect a little bit on our behaviors here on earth. For me, I think one of the most important points this evening is that searching for life beyond Earth, beyond our planet, offers us the best chance to understand ourselves in this vast universe. In the year 1950, physicist Enrico Fermi casually asked his colleagues over a lunch, where is everybody? He wasn't talking about his friends or his colleagues, he was talking about aliens. They're sitting there in the 1950s, we're suddenly launching rockets into space and building satellites. We have better technology than we've ever had before. We're able to detect radio signals from stars in distant regions of our galaxies and we hear nothing. There was nothing. 
We don't see Dyson spheres around stars. We don't hear alien messages. We are kind of alone, or at least that's what we think right now. So it's a big question. Where is everybody? Why we haven't seen or heard anyone or anything out there could be a number of reasons. There, um, the idea goes, or at least to Fermi and his colleagues, is that life should be incredibly common. We sprouted from life. It should sprout elsewhere. At least basic life, microbial life, little itty-bitty single-cell creatures, they should probably exist out there. Intelligent life, though, that could be another thing. So they came up with this theory. Many scientists have come up with this theory and tried to debunk it, and it's something called the Great Filter. It's this idea that life might be extraordinarily common, however, it expanding and evolving to where we are when we're so intelligent now, or we think we're intelligent now, might be very, very rare indeed. This great filter event could be absolutely anything. It could be that the Earth or any planet with life is destroyed before life can evolve. It gets hit by asteroids, solar flares destroy its atmosphere, its magnetic field turns off. That could be one reason. It could be alien invasions taking over planets. Unlikely, but it could be that. It could be that intelligent civilizations such as ourselves, again, we think, completely deplete their planets of all of its natural resources and make it effectively unlivable, which is what we're doing right now. We could be our own great filter, but until we search out there and understand is there life out there, what life is out there, we won't know if we are before the great filter or if we are after it. This position in the filter timeline could mean the continuance of the human race or it could mean our very end. If we're before the great filter, there's likely an extinction event to come, not only for us, but for the majority of Earth. And maybe we can learn something about that. If we're after the great filter, then that's brilliant news. It means we truly are a little bit special. It means we might be that civilization to conquer our solar system, conquer the galaxy, and that's kind of something to live on for, at least I think so. I think one of the biggest questions, though, is are we sitting ducks? If we're before the filter, may we, we might be unaware of anything to come. So searching for life out there might give us that answer. If we were to make contact with a more advanced civilization, they might pass on knowledge to us to help us survive a filter event. They also might give us insight into what made them so successful and us so different. Anyone who argues that this knowledge is not important and is not looking at the bigger picture, the bigger picture of our own existence and our own continuation as a species, not searching for life could actually mean the end of our own. And I think that is the only reason why I don't understand how you could even argue no, <laughs> right? Imagine if I was to tell you that if we found an alien civilization, they could give us the secrets to conquering our solar system, clean energy. They might even give us the secrets to traveling near the speed of light. They could just give us a secret to survive a little bit longer. I think that is worth searching for life. Another reason why we should search for life is because of the data. When we look out into the universe, no matter what we're doing, we are collecting vast amounts of data, whether it be images, radio data, or anything in between. All of that data is valuable, not just for searching for life or intelligent signatures. 
majority of the interesting things we have in astronomy were found by accident. We call them serendipitous discoveries, things that we didn't know we were looking for until somebody came across it in data. Taking this vast amount of data to look for life out there might give us the next fundamental physics breakthrough. It might help us understand quantum physics, might help us even join something we call the great unification, where the micro and the macro worlds don't work together. But understanding events in the universe could help us with that. And we can only do that with vast amounts of data. And this data is essentially free. The discovery of life beyond Earth could not only unravel the mysteries of physics, which to me, a physicist, is very exciting, but it could tell us a little bit about ourselves, could tell us if we're special or not. It might give us a reason in our place in the universe. Furthermore, the data collected from this search would revolutionize our understanding of astronomy, fundamental physics, and the origins of life itself. Let us seize this opportunity to embark on an awe-inspiring journey of exploration and discovery, and for these reasons, I firmly affirm that we should search for life. Thank you. Sarah Webb. Now, before we move to our next speaker, I did want to share some science news this week. Um, now, there was a brave and selfless group of scientists who have dedicated themselves to identifying the ideal penis size through the ages. I don't know if you saw this one. Um, now, there was no universal penis measurement tool in existence, so the researchers had to figure one out to compare penis sizes across thousands of paintings. <laughs> it's the only way uh, after all how could you tell whether someone's penis was small or if it was just in the distance you know so the team came up with the penis to nose ratio or PNR uh, given that a person's nose and penis could be more or less relied upon to be in the same place at the same time, same distance. <laughs> Feel free to use PNR in your own research. <laughs> Fine. What they found was that from the 1400s to the 1800s, penis to nose ratio, I have not practiced saying penis to nose ratio enough. <laughs> penis to nose ratio stayed pretty much the same, uh, never far from a one to one ratio. And then come the 1900s, the ratio started to increase. By the year 2000, PNR was sitting at a 1.5 ratio in favour of the penis. In short, the dicks were getting bigger. Uh, this perpetual growth trajectory of penises is alarming if it does continue unabated. <laughs> By 2050, we can expect enormous phalluses to be roaming the streets with helpless folk attached. Now... The <laughs> The researchers concluded that the influence of porn on penis depiction is to blame, um, resulting in most modern penis owners overestimating the average penis size and feeling inadequate. So... <laughs> a collective awe for penis owners everywhere. So it's about time. <laughs> So, to the penis owners present, know that as long as your penis and your nose are roughly the same size, you're probably safely within the bell curve or the bell end curve as a... <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> Failing that, you could always try to make your nose smaller. 
Uh, the first speaker of the negative deals with measurements stretching out far beyond, beyond human anatomy, and I'm making this sentence as long as possible to disambiguate them from all the penis talk. Uh, Claire Kenyon is an astrophysicist, science communicator, and soon-to-be university lecturer who believes in having as fingers in as many pies as possible, which is good for her and bad for people who like hygienic pies. <laughs> She's served time as a high school teacher, an orchestral double bass player, and as a geologist in a gold mine. She has taken the phrase, you can do anything to heart. Her mum has tried to explain that anything did not mean everything, and that leaving some things off your resume is good if you don't want to look like a tyre kicker, but here we are. Uh, her research has swan-dived through the dusty material encircling supermassive black holes at the heart of the active galaxies, but sometimes she'd much rather be hanging from a pole, hoop or rock wall, and so she's still working on how to successfully combine them all. Please make some noise for Claire Canyon. <laughs> trying to organise my technology. Uh, first of all, of course, in normal debate way, I will start off with some easy, easy rebuttal. So far, it's all been a bit selfish from Miss Sarah Webb. We want to understand ourselves better. We want to spread and colonise and survive with our, you know, big, what is it, PNRs? <laughs> yes. We want to steal the technology we haven't worked for. Great. And also, Sarah, when did hope equal science? When was it good enough reason to do something on a hope? I hope that there's wine in this glass. <laughs> it didn't work for me during COVID, let me tell you. And we've seen what hopes and prayer does. Jackal. You know what's the worst thing about eavesdropping? Getting caught. For some reason, folks just don't appreciate people listening in to their private conversations. Ever heard of Matter Hurry? Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, Major John Andre, John A. Walker Jr., and Robert Hansen? No? Well, it could be because they're spies. Or it could be because they're dead. It just didn't end well for them. Turns out, no one likes spies. People don't like others listening in. By the way, Sarah, I've been tapping your phone and maybe you should tell us all about Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, they don't seem to enjoy being watched secretly through the little tiny crack in the curtain as they go about their evening activities. <laughs> Creepy. In the name of science, I did a little bit of my own, completely unbiased and totally robust research along these lines. Yes, folks, out of the nine times that I personally went around eavesdropping yesterday, I got caught seven times. And out of those seven times, let me tell you, it ended badly. Every one of them. Yeah, yeah, sample size, sample size. It's totally fine, totally scientific and totally not made up. So quit complaining. It's good enough to get published in some journals, trust me. Here's the thing. It's really hard. Some might say impossible, or if you know where I'm going with this, improbable, to observe without having an effect on the thing you're observing. Just ask any quantum physicist. They'll tell you about 
The observer effect. We're really good at naming stuff in physics. This is a phenomenon in which the act of observation affects the behaviour of the thing being observed. Now, I can tell you personally that the people who found me listening in on their conversations absolutely did change their behaviour. Surprisingly, it tended towards violence. And here's the crux of the matter. People don't respond well. Indignation, anger, violence, fear. These are the emotions and actions you're probably going to contend with. Why on earth would we bring attention to ourselves? Hey, I'm here. Oh, my God, come annihilate me. <laughs> no, thanks. Okay, fine, we could announce ourselves, ring the doorbell, you know, just like John Chow did in November 2018. Walk in and be like, hi, ye uncontacted peoples, please don't attack me. And by the way, have you heard about Jesus? <laughs> Poor John Chow did this three times before the North Sentinelese killed him. Didn't end well for John. So yeah, didn't end well for John, and he faced indignation, anger, fear, violence. I don't even need to make this shit up. These days, it's totally inappropriate, nay, downright rude, to just drop in on a friend without mentioning it a week previously, texting that morning, sending, I'm on my way, and then texting, I'm here, from the car. You can expect indignation, anger, fear, and violence. Some people just want to be left alone, or at least be given ample warning so they can get their shit together and hide the dead bodies. Going back to my excellent scientific research I mentioned earlier, and for which I'm still waiting for my honorary degree from UniMalb, in all of my research, I didn't bloody learn anything interesting anyway. It turns out that most of the conversations happening in people's living rooms and kitchens these days is pretty fucking boring. Who's picking up the kids from childcare tomorrow? Why is the dog eating a pickle? And do you think we hit the bodies well enough? Also, there's a lot of silence. Turns out there just isn't that much to say to the people you care about. So, in all the chances, us hearing something interesting or useful, it's vanishingly small and totally not worth the risk of a sticky, asked John, ending. This brings me to my next point. What's the point? Bear with me here, right? So, if we look for alien life out there, it increases our ch chances ever so slightly. More on the numbers game from the magnificent Rowan. Don't mess with the Rowan. Coming soon to a second negative speaker dais near you, this one. It increases our chances of finding intelligent life. Now, there are two scenarios I see here. It's either less capable than us, and read that how you will, intelligence, technology, whatever, or it's more advanced than us. I just want to try something, so please indulge me, everybody. I want you to clap. Are you ready? Go. Now, look around, look around, look around at everybody clapping. Right. Thank you very much for indulging me. What do you think you look like to a bunch of aliens? I'll tell you what you look like to me. A bunch of seals. And what are seals? Food. <laughs> so here's the thing. Take a look around. Chances are it's probably smarter than us. This, by the way, makes the chances of us successfully spying on them without getting caught so incredibly low. We may as well be broadcasting Eat Me to the universe in a kind of weird and twisted galactic version of Tinder. Um, anyway... <laughs> So we'll be there looking at them while they're looking at us, looking at them probably from their mind clouds because they've already transcended the initial meat format into a higher dimension. And when they beam to Earth to take a peek at what we're up to, we're doing things like this show. 
where watching balloons of Botox and filler try to navigate a primitive cutting tool on an unsuspecting piece of salad, we're pootling around fueling our world with dead dinosaurs, we are practicing our best seal impersonations. <laughs> Don't get me started on the meat wiggling phenomenon that is dancing. Oh, and remember planking? Yeah. So what exactly do we have to be proud of? To show some intelligent alien race that might visit, that might elevate us above food or pets. We're probably dumber than it. Admit it. The fact that we're sitting pretty on 90 seconds to midnight on the doomsday clock is proof enough. We have 720 minutes to play with on that clock and we had to divide it into half minutes. So unless you froth your own extinction, what's the point? Okay, cool. What if it's not smarter than us? Oh yeah, I hear that, yeah. Well, there are two scenarios, right? We go, okay, we need to preserve this life. Let's chuck up a huge galactic equivalent of a marine conservation park and nobody's allowed to go there and we ignore the fishermen that go in the back, right? <laughs> but for the other scenario, here I refer to the planet of cricket in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. TLDR, shame on you, not going to do it for you. <laughs> Basically, these guys on the planet, they had a dust cloud. They didn't think anything was out there. Something landed, a spaceship. They went, ooh, we can do this. They built their own spaceship. They went up and they had a look. They saw all the stars and they went, shit, this has got to go. It's got to go. So they built a bomb and they built an army and they tried to blow up the entire universe themselves with it. So basically all I can say is that contamination is undesirable. And as we heard before, you can't really test something, look at something without contaminating it. So what is the bloody point? And understanding ourselves, I'm sorry, Sarah, is not a good enough reason. <laughs> It's an interesting approach, telling the audience that you're probably dumber than aliens. Please vote for me. Comfortably dumb. Uh, <laughs> comfortably. Ignorance is bliss. Um, in more science news, uh, this is my favourite story I found in recent times. A research group in Oregon found that cannabinoids also give roundworms the munchies. So, you're right to ask why. <laughs> Nematodes and mammals parted way on the evolutionary tree some 500 million years ago, but it turns out a shared love of cheesels after a spliff still unites us. We asked, when asked just exactly why and how the researchers stumbled on this finding, the team revealed that it happened shortly after weed became legal in Canada in 2015 because, of course, it did. A time that will no, go no doubt go down in history as a veritable renaissance of research into stupid, funny shit. As Canada's entire scientific workforce turned up at the lab off their face and hungry. The research group armed with marijuana decided, and this is a quote from the research paper, let's dump this stuff on them and see what happens. <laughs> the worms ate double their favourite foods and half of their least favourite foods. <laughs> the article did not tell me what their favourite foods were. Now I looked extensively into what practical purpose this research had and I could not find it. I'm pretty sure the researchers have, and this is a technical term, forgotten. <laughs> the lab lead concluded saying, perhaps we can find a new set of similarities between humans and worms. Why? 
Why do we need to know what similarities there are between humans and worms? So in the great nematode uprising of 2090, we have some ground to make small talk to broker a peace deal. Like what? Why? The researchers' future plans, and once again, I'm not making this up, is that they would like to test psychedelics on nematodes. This is the single strongest argument for defunding scientific research. (laughs) It's just not fair that the worms get all the good shit. (laughs) Our next debater is less into worms and more into wormholes. Thank you. (laughs) Segway of the night. Benjamin Metha is a human person from planet Earth, which I think you can agree is a suspicious way to go around introducing yourself. His interests in space and maths carried him from his unremarkable terrestrial childhood (laughs) to the University of Melbourne, where he's currently studying a PhD in astronomy. When not staring deeply into pictures of distant galaxies, Benji is also a keen science communicator and a regular on sci-comedy podcast, Curiosity Killed the Rat. Please make some noise for Benji! Rebuttals, rebuttals, rebuttals. So much to rebuke, so little time. (laughs) I've known Claire for many years, not as long as her PhD took, but I think she's an incredible person. She's a great educator. She's got so much experience going around to high school, started telescopes in schools program. Um, And with all this experience, you may wonder, is there anything Claire can't do? Well, tonight we found out. (laughs) Claire started off by telling us that hope is bad, for some reason. Um, she then made an argument about quantum physics and how we observe a system that changes it. Quantum physics is about small things and the universe is a big thing, so the laws of quantum physics don't apply to it. No. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Claire said that it's rude to drop in on a different person if, if you haven't like called or messaged them first, so maybe, maybe we should be trying to figure out where they live so we can send them a message before we drop in. Maybe that makes sense. <laughs> and then Claire mentioned something about um, how all of the things that we're going to search for out there are going to kill us as soon as we kind of find them. You know, 90% of the ocean is unexplored. And I reckon we shouldn't explore it anymore because there's probably some sea monster in the depths. And if we plunge down, we're probably going to wake Cthulhu, summon a tidal wave, kill us all. But at least we might find some seals for you to eat. <laughs> All right, let's be real clear about what this debate is about. We're talking about life. Not intelligence, not civilizations, life. Now, these alien civilizations that we're talking about with their spaceships and their laser guns and their weird rules about how we're all going to come kill you if you send us a text probably don't exist. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was not a documentary. Now, we've been searching for aliens for 50 years. We haven't found any yet. You may ask, what's the point? What are we doing? Are we wasting all of our taxpayers' money? And I say nay. You want a good point? I'll give you a point. (laughs) If you think the search for life outside of Earth is a waste of taxpayers' money, you couldn't be farther from the truth. We may not have found any aliens yet, but the search for life on other planets has given us a lot of things that help us, including more money for science. Let me tell you all a story. (laughs) I'll tell you all a story about a little Russian oligarch by the name of Yuri. Now, through honest work and dedication and maybe selling a few computers on the black market, Yuri found himself in possession of 100 million US dollars. 
And if you're a billionaire in possession of 100 million US dollars, there's a lot of things you can do with that kind of money. You could buy a fleet of luxury yachts and blow them up in the middle of the Pacific in a game of billionaire battleships. You could buy out a social media company so that everyone on earth has to listen to your cringy jokes. Or you could do what Yuri did and donate that money to astronomy for the search for extraterrestrial life. Now, that money went all over the globe and it helped all sorts of scientists do all kinds of research, including helping some people in regional New South Wales build a radio telescope, furnish it up so they could look for fast radio bursts. Now, what are fast radio bursts? We don't know. Could it be aliens? Maybe. But it could also be a new kind of star or some source of energy that physicists don't know about yet. Um, the search for... Now, you may think that billionaires are selfish, and that's true, but they are also egotistical. <laughs> the search for alien life lets us tap into the egos of these billionaires to get some really cool new science programs funded, which leaves more money for Earth-based governments to spend on other cool and important things. It's true, the search for alien life hasn't given us any aliens yet, and maybe it never will. But when we try to do things that sound impossible, we achieve things that we could have never even imagined, like the discovery of exoplanets. So when NASA first started its SETI program in the 1970s, the question wasn't, are we the only planet with life on it? It was, is our star the only one with planets around it? We didn't even know that. We need planets for life, so it kind of makes sense. Um, we didn't know they existed, and we definitely didn't know if we could find them, but we let our curiosity guide us. We searched anyway. And nowadays, we haven't just found exoplanets. We've found 5,000 of them. 5,000 brand new worlds. I'm excited when I find a new coffee shop. <laughs> and let me tell you, these things are nothing like we could have imagined. We've found water worlds, lava worlds, worlds made out of solid diamond. We've found a planet with two, to orbits two suns at the same time. We've found a planet that orbits a dead sun, plunged into eternal darkness after its star went supernova. We've even found planets with no stars at all. They hurtle through space on their own, unstopping, uncaring, forever. Where do all these planets come from? Well, we've seen that too. Scientists have now managed to take pictures of baby planets forming in protoplanetary disks around their stars. Cool, right? New worlds, brand new worlds, new discoveries. This is what the search for life in the stars has brought us. But that's not all. There's more. <laughs> when we try to do things that sound impossible, we achieve things we couldn't have imagined. And that goes for technological discoveries as well as scientific ones. When we started looking for life on other worlds, we didn't have half of the equipment we needed to answer this question properly. So you know what we did? We invented it. Um, and once we invented it, one of the things we got was a way of measuring the temperature of these exoplanets without having to touch them. They're a long way away. Pretty hard to touch them, you need another way to measure temperature. This technology was then taken and used as a spin-off to develop that um, baby-in-your-ear thermometer. You know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, it's quick, it's comfortable, it helps stop babies from dying. Sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> that same technology, years later, um, was used during the COVID 2020 pandemic, 2021 pandemic, 2022 pandemic, um, to do that radar sensing gun that they gave you um, to stop Karen from Brighton from turning a Bunnings run into a super spreader event. <laughs> so that's pretty good too, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In summary, should we start looking for aliens? No, we already started 50 years ago. We're having so much fun, you couldn't stop us even if you wanted to. <laughs> have we found any aliens? No, but that's okay. Because what have we found? 
we've found ways to get billionaires to give their money to science. We've found technologies that improve our lives every day. And we've found that our universe is full of weird, wonderful exoplanets. These hidden gems of the cosmos that are stranger than science fiction. So when you vote tonight, I want you to choose curiosity over fear. Choose wonder over tight acidness. Choose hope over eating seals. <laughs> choose the affirmative team. <laughs> And there's an exoplanet for you, and an exoplanet for you. <laughs> I'm so excited. Space sounds great. Haven't found any aliens in 50 years. It is 8 o'clock. Uh, you've been great. You get to have an intermission because of that. Um, let's take 20 minutes to, to get some food and a drink and, and meet back here. Sound good? All right. See you then. we could kick off. We do have our next debater. Shall we do that? Yeah. All right, we'll do that. <laughs> uh, okay, our next debater, Rowan, is a sci-fi regular and curator at the Harry Brooks Allen Museum of Anatomy and Pathology at the University of Melbourne. He's a zoologist, a twitcher and a regular on ABC Radio talking all facts and Amelia with David Astle. He is more familiar with the entire back catalogue of the X-Files than he is proud to admit Please make some noise for Rowan Long. Good evening. Um, I don't think I'll bother rebutting anything that the other people said over there. Um, I find the entire debate format quite tiresome, to be honest. Um, and if I've learnt anything from arguing with people in Facebook comments about whether or not flamingos are real... It's that rational argument and logic does not work. So what I'm going to be doing tonight is I'm going to be pivoting into emotive uh, content, humanising content. Um, and that's largely going to take the form of me reading excerpts from my unpublished memoirs of my adolescent years, um, the Rowan Long story, colon, it's a long story. 1999. Ballarat, arguing with mum. I just can't live up to these expectations of a degree and a job and putting the bins out. I yelped in a petulant yet surprisingly dignified way. I went on. I wasn't prepared for any of this. I spent my childhood being led to believe that the most worthy path in life was to be a bookish renegade with an unwavering, single-minded commitment to intellectual ideals, like Indiana Jones or Fox Mulder. That's all very well, my mother shot back. I couldn't believe she was armed. She shot back verbally after that. That's all very well. But both Professor Indiana Jones and Special Agent Fox Mulder had permanent full-time jobs in government institutions and almost definitely enjoyed very competitive salary packages and highly desirable superannuation options. <laughs> you know something? It's interesting that my mum mentioned Fox Mulder in that made-up anecdote from my made-up autobiography that I awkwardly crammed into that first section because I think that Mulder and Scully embody a fundamental dichotomy as to how this topic, we should search for life out there, is approached. 
We, the negative, represent the Scullies, the Gillian Anderson of this yin and yang. Scientific, well-educated, aging like a fine wine. <clears throat> Whereas the affirmative represents the Mulders. Irrational, impulsive, violent, and addicted to pornography. <laughs> to the Mulders, I say this. Why don't we search for life in here? And by that, I mean planet Earth. Scientists have estimated that there are around 8.7 million species of plants and animals in existence. However, only about 1.2 million of those species have been identified and described so far. How about we limit the search for life to one planet at a time until we know what we're working with? Let's put that in perspective with a clever, relatable metaphor. Let's say you come home and there are 8.7 million dirty dishes in the sink. And I'm like, don't worry, I got this. You come back later and you find out I've only washed 1.2 million of those dirty dishes. Would you consider that a finished job? <laughs> Let's finish the job, Earthlings. Let's not leave behind 7.5 million dirty dishes or undiscovered species because some people want to persist with an infantile fantasy that the next NASA probe is going to bring back high-definition images of the cantina from Star Wars. <laughs> I was so close to saying the cantina from Star Trek and then just pausing and waiting to see people get enraged. I won't do that. Um, <laughs> The idea that contacting aliens could possibly be a good use of our dwindling resources at a time when both extreme weather events and actual Nazis are increasing in frequency and severity is almost hilariously misguided. I fear for the future of this planet. You know, I've got a real stake in this stuff. Uh, I've got two little kids, three and five. Those are scores I've given them out of ten. But even very disappointing children deserve a future. <laughs> and that's not going to happen unless we are 100% focused on the very real problems happening on this planet right now. <laughs> disappointing children. Kind of makes me think of my own childhood. <laughs> 2000. The year. Ballarat. Arguing with mum again. I got annoyed and decided to head out to the pub. Come back this instant! She bellowed in a voice as bitter as a Ballarat wind. You cannot go out looking like that! I froze in my tracks. But this is just what I look like. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that my mum mentioned me looking bad in my made-up anecdote from my made-up autobiography that I awkwardly crammed into that last section because I think the stance that my opponents are taking is not a good look. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when I look at the speakers for the affirmative, I see gullible people. <laughs> look at these rubes. Ooh, there's so many stars and planets out there. One of them must have life on it. You guys are supposed to be scientists? Who's your scientific advisor? That bearded guy from the Tats Lotto logo? This is lottery thinking. I mean, there are billions of grains of sand on a beach. Should we simply take it 
as a statistical inevitability that at least one of them has the lyrics to Sir Mix-a-Lot's 1992 hip-hop classic Baby Got Back etched into it? If not, why not? Do we have any actual reason to believe that alien life is any more well-supported than that? My anaconda don't want none unless you got evidence. <laughs> 2001. <laughs> Ballarat. Still arguing with mum. My mother and I had been arguing for three solid years. We argued on topics as diverse and varied as the activities available at Sovereign Hill, Ballarat's premier tourist attraction. We argued about whether or not flamingos are real. We argued about whose turn it was to do the 8.7 million dirty dishes in the sink. On this occasion, we were arguing, as we often did, as to whether humankind should search for alien life. I held different views then. I was a child, a molder. I said, Mum, there has to be life out there. Uh, I, I contain multitudes. Mum, <laughs> there has to be life out there. There are so many possible worlds. An infinite universe, blah, 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 blah. You know, all the inane rubbish you've been hearing from that side of the stage all night. Mum just looked at me, fixed me with her double glass eye gaze and said... Dear, there's no evidence of any kind for life on any other planet than Earth. Yes, the mind-boggling numbers of the astronomical world do make for seemingly favourable plausibilities, but there's only so much you can infer from a sample size of one. The mathematical capacity of our simian brains was solely shaped by the need to keep track of how many lions were in the vicinity at any one time. We are simply unequipped to respond rationally to extremely large numbers without lapsing into a gambler's fallacy. There's exactly the same amount of evidence to support extraterrestrial life as there is the existence of Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster. More, in fact, for those two, because we know for a fact that great apes and large aquatic reptiles actually exist. But we have no reason at all to believe that even a single, single-celled organism exists, exists anywhere beyond this planet. It's no longer even a scientific position. It's one of faith. Some people are always looking for meaning outside because inside... They have nothing. <laughs> That's a little uncharitable, I said to my mother. <laughs> hey, she replied, I'm from Ballarat. I calls them like I sees them. <clears throat> Son, part of growing up is having the intellectual courage to accept that we are utterly alone uh, in an otherwise lifeless, uncaring void. The Fermi paradox, the Drake equation. These are just sciency terms for a very emotional human expression. To wit, it seems clear at this point that we are totally alone, and we can't quite understand why that is. Maybe the truth isn't out there. Maybe the truth is in here. You know something, Mum? I said... <laughs> Tears welling up in my eyes. This is really going to come in handy if I ever end up having to speak at a science comedy debate on the merits of searching for extraterrestrial life. I know, said Mum. I know. Rowan Long's Mum, ladies and gentlemen. 
We're up to closing arguments for the affirmative. Are we prepared? Are we ready? All right, Jess Moyer is going to take home this side for the affirmative. Barrister by day, Jess was also part of the first all-female team to make the Australasian debating grand final. We have a real genuine debater on the stage. (laughs) She's also debated uh, at the World's Debating Championships and in the middle of the street, usually with parking inspectors. (laughs) Comedy festival regular Jess has two little kids who tell her to save her jokes for her comedy shows. Make some noise for Jess Moyer! Gosh, I do love coming here because nowhere else in my life does debating get a cheer. (laughs) Well, look, let's begin with Claire. Claire, a woman who eats seals. Claire told us that hope isn't a good enough reason to do something, but hope is the only possible reason to persevere with a PhD thesis for 10 years. Claire told us that we shouldn't be eavesdropping on aliens because people don't like spies. No, people fucking love spies because they're cool. (laughs) Inspector Gadget, Alex Mack, your friend who works at DFAT with a minimalist apartment. (laughs) We love spies. She said we will contaminate aliens by observing them. There's nothing dirty about us having a little peep at aliens. Don't yuck our yum, Claire. (laughs) On a less sexual note, (laughs) Sarah explained to me in the break that um, we are actually always inadvertently leaking our electromagnetic watsits into space. (laughs) Uh, And so technically, even if we're not intentionally contaminating them, we're doing it just by leaking um, (laughs) science. Uh, Look, the fourth point that Claire made was that aliens will think we're fucked. Uh, We have nothing to be proud of. (laughs) We will either be seen as pets, food, or idiots. None of those fears has stopped me from looking for love. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) At this point, you could just rename Tinder Pet Food or Idiot. (laughs) And people would still go on it. (laughs) Okay, that was Claire. Rowan. Rowan told us that his anaconda wants evidence. (laughs) But he told us nothing of his anaconda to nose ratio. (laughs) Rowan's mum through the sands of time and the veil of a confected memoir, made arguments that Rowan, for whatever reason, felt unable to make on his own. (laughs) Rowan is certainly searching for something which has no basis and is not inside him. (laughs) Um, He accused us of lottery thinking. I like to think it's more like Keno, spot match win. Whoa, that was a bad joke. (laughs) Um, Did you see how I did that thumbs up to try and cover it and look like I was proud? (laughs) It didn't work. Okay, so that's my rebuttal. Um, This is my recap of my team's case. 
First of all, you heard from Sarah, the most wholesome and hopeful person in the universe. Sarah explained to you that the universe is very big and that there must be life out there and we should be looking for it because that's what humans do. Coincidentally, that's the same reason I shower every day because that's what humans do. Sarah told you about the Fermi paradox and she explained filter events and she told us that finding new life is our best hope of surviving the great filter, which explains that the negative team is pro-extinction. I've experienced a few filter events in my own life, mainly acquaintances culling me on social media. (laughs) I would rather avoid the great filter. Um, Sarah spoke about how space exploration is the best hope for understanding ourselves and feeling special. Um, In my experience, it is certainly more promising than therapy. Uh, (laughs) Then we have Benji. Benji told you about the exoplanets. He told you about the water worlds, which were originally discovered by Kevin Costner. (laughs) He told you about the lava worlds, which are, of course, the most difficult place for playing floor is lava. (laughs) And he told you about the worlds made out of solid diamond, which is where Rihanna is from (laughs) and where Gina Reinhart wishes she was from. Benji explained that it's good when billionaires spend money on futile space exploration because the money goes to scientists. I want you to look past the naked self-interest in Benji's argument. (laughs) And I want you to think about what Elon Musk did to Twitter. (laughs) Um, Benji said that even if we just found one little microbe, it would all be worthwhile. That would certainly justify an over-the-counter thrush treatment. Maybe also space exploration. I will leave that for you. Um, So, ladies and gentlemen, what have we done on the affirmative team? We have explored the final frontiers of planet Earth. We have explored the deepest, darkest crevices of this planet. We have seen the vast constellation of Scott Morrison's ministerial portfolios. We have found the USBs inside the child's lunchbox buried in the backyard of Ben Robert Smith, war criminal. We have seen the boxes piled under the chandelier in the shower of Donald Trump. What else is waiting to be discovered on this fucked planet? (laughs) I do not know, but I know that it is not good. In the words of our youth, we should just yeet ourselves into space. (laughs) The greatest argument for searching for life out there is that every moment we spend looking for aliens is another moment that we are not making further inquiries here on Earth. (laughs) So, in conclusion, on the affirmative team today, we offer you nihilism and a sense of adventure. I don't know if this mic stand's going to make it to the end of the night. It's just uh, slowly giving up. That's all right. We'll hold on. Okay, our final debater, Alyssa Tremblay-Birchall. He he did send me a bio, but it was very scathing, and I I think he's (laughs) quite a nice person, so he's just going to have to listen to me say some nice things about him. (laughs) I asked you to just call me an intellectual weakling. (laughs) 
He did, and there's too many syllables for me to pronounce that. Uh, Alistair is a veritable comedy powerhouse. Oh, no. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, he writes for many of the clever, funny shows you've seen on your TV, such as Mad as Hell. He's one of the two in the endurance comedy duo, Two in the Think Tank. Please check it out. He's a founding member of the production house, Stupid Old Studios, and has performed at more Melbourne International Comedy Festivals than you. Make some noise for our <laughs> final debater, Sir Hello, hello everybody. Um, all right, so, how are you? <laughs> yeah, good? All right, now, we have heard um, multiple arguments um, from both sides, one side less convincing than the other, um, uh, about whether or not we should search for life. Um, I believe uh, Sarah began, was it Sarah Webb? Sort of like uh, the James Webb telescope, is that... Your Nepo baby? Um, he was a homophobic, so we don't say his name. Sure, sure. <laughs> sure, but we'll, but we'll take jobs from him. You know what I mean? I don't know what, that, what I was trying to imply. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, Sarah uh, Webb um, was, uh, uh, said that, that our side had no hope. Hope, of course, being the idiot's enthusiasm. Um, <laughs> And said that there is no logical reason to not look. Well, what about this? Self-preservation, right? Because Sarah spoke about the great filter. And she talked about all the, all the things that could be stopping us, you know, uh, from uh, reaching other people or them reaching us. But um, what about the things that could be stopping them from uh, communicating with us that... Uh, that is like uh, one, every time you poke your head out, uh, civilization destroys you, right? There's that possibility, right? Um, we also, uh, oh my God. She ignored all the potential negatives, right? Now, of course, getting destroyed sounds fun, right? I mean, many of you are probably doing it with drinks right now, right? And, and, and I love it, right? But, um, but having a civilization come here uh, with the power to completely wipe us out, uh, to me, seems like a negative thing, right? And, and uh, uh, Benji brought up the idea that uh, scientists should be uh, self, what is it? self-interested and, and use oligarchs who are stealing money from the Russian people uh, to fund their science. You know, and I love that. I love that... <laughs> I love that we could use science uh, to uh, rehabilitate the, the, uh, the reputations of the world's greatest monsters. I mean, Benji, I have a ticket to Epstein Island, Island for you here. Um, he's got some funding for you. Here you go. You can, uh, you can go there and do your thing. Uh, you can look at the stars, guilt-free. Um, I'd rather have that ticket than have him give it to a kid. You will... Wait, wait. Wait, 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 wait. I didn't hear that. You'll have the ticket and give I'd it to a kid. I'd rather have that ticket than have him give it to a kid. Well, that's really good. He has the money for multiple. Um, um, he, uh, Benji also said that uh, some of the search for life, which, of course, has not found any life, and he's happy to be involved in a, uh, in a field that doesn't produce any results whatsoever, um, except for potentially thermometers for babies that keeps them alive. But anybody who's met a baby knows that they're really annoying. 
And uh, them being alive is one of the main reasons that they're annoying. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying that being in a room with a dead baby is going to be fun either, right? But (laughs) they eventually, somebody takes it away. There's like a system for that. All right, that's not where I wanted to go with that. But (laughs) now, on our, I think that was all their arguments, wasn't it? It was, uh, have some hope, good things may happen, right? And, uh, and you can rehabilitate, uh, you know, pedophiles' images. Right, great. That seems odd that that was their whole argument. Really in contrast to the hope thing. <laughs> right, now, whether, therefore, but, but therefore, what the fuck am I talking about? All right. But on our side, we had Claire here, who um, was saying that people don't like being spied on, which is true in many ways. I don't like being spied on. Of course, uh, Jess attempted to say that we all love spies, but not when they're spying on us, right? Um, and yeah, I, I think, I mean, do you, I mean, I don't know. It just feels like she was willfully misinterpreting what Claire was saying, right? I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure everybody's approaching this in good faith. <laughs> Is it just me? <laughs> Feels like people are misinterpreting things on purpose. <laughs> right? Um, now, sure, Claire misunderstood the observer effect and she has a PhD in physics. <laughs> that's fun. I love that, right? <laughs> and, and I think that that shows really good things about our people. But, but she, also, she also brought up the interesting point that, right, um, if we find aliens and they're smarter than us, then they could enslave us. They could, uh, you know, eat us. They could make us their pets, right? Which, some of that sounds fun, but some of it sounds awful, right? But then she also said they could come here and be dumber than us. Now that would be hugely embarrassing, right? Think about that. They're here, they're dumber than us, and they've managed to, like, interstellar travel, (laughs) right? That feels like an awful outcome. I don't think we would psychologically recover from that (laughs) as a species, right? And is that the kind of thing you want to impose onto our people? Ugh, right? Now, I don't. Um, Now, of course, uh, we went on to Rohan, uh, Rowan, Rohan, (laughs) I'm so sorry. And he said that we have problems here that we need to solve. And he's right. He's right. We do have problems here, right? Like, for example, how to never die. Right? We all have to die, and that sucks. And you know what? I don't think that aliens who have no fucking idea about our biology are going to be able to solve that problem. Right? So, I would love to never die, right? Obviously, I'm never going to kill myself, right? I'm here for a long time, not a good time, right? (laughs) Rowan also mentioned the Tatslotto guy who has a really big beard. Now, I couldn't imagine who that was, right? So I, I, I looked it up. It's called research. And look at this, right? You might not be able to see it very well, right? But you can't see how big his beard is because it goes into the white area. It's as white as the sign, right? And in many ways, that's like searching for alien life, right? Sure, we assume they're there. Obviously, they're out there somewhere, but there's no point looking for that beard, Right? It's not a good use of our time. Right? <laughs> right? Because, firstly, even if we do make contact with them, 
they're too far away to ever meet them, right? And if we communicate, if we do start communicating with them and they're really far away and we can never meet them, that puts us at risk of being catfished, right? <laughs> all right, they're going to tell us they're great. They're going to tell us all these <laughs> secrets and we're going to be like, oh my God. And then we're like, hey, we're going to meet up with them. <laughs> they're gonna, they're really, I do have a girlfriend. I just, he just lives in another galaxy, right? <laughs> It's going to be, again, super embarrassing for us, okay? And plus, okay, and, and finally, really what I want to say is we don't need to search for life because I don't know if you've uh, been reading the news recently, okay, and seen any videos that have been verified by the Pentagon, all right, or seen anything in The Guardian this week that said that an insider uh, from the military says that he definitely knows that there's alien ships here on Earth, right? We don't need to go looking for life. They're already here, right? The only thing we need to absolutely prove it is any evidence, right? <laughs> but we know that they're here, right? So we don't, like, so why would we even point, point, point the, the telescopes back at Earth? <laughs> Point them back at Earth, please. Look for them. They're, they're probably hiding in the ocean. They're behind a bush. They're somewhere. You're not looking. It's a big game of hide and seek, and you're being idiots. You're spending too much money. You're looking too far. And so, in, in summary, <laughs> good night. <laughs> So try my best, <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't expecting you to end there. That was that was a surprise to me. I, I was not prepared. <laughs> and that's the argument, really, is it? Are we prepared to look for aliens if we don't know what we're going to find? Look, uh, I'm. What's going to happen next is uh, in a minute. I'm going to just share a summary of what's happened this evening. Uh, <laughs> wish me luck and. <laughs> Uh, then you're going to vote. But first, I just want to run around the debaters. Um, if there's any uh, upcoming events, gigs, podcasts, tweets that you just really want people to see, confessions you want to make in the alley after the show, uh, that you want to promote to the people before they uh, vote about your worth. Anyone? Sarah? Sure. I have a TED Talk coming out online. What? <laughs> um, it's all about why AI should take your job. And I think you'll find it quite interesting. We want it to happen in a good way. And then you can follow me on social media if you want to. What's your hashtag? What's Sarah Web Science. Nice. Yes. Benji? Uh, I don't think I have anything really going on. Curiosity Killed the Rat is a podcast that I feature on regularly. I'm a space science correspondent. The next episode is going to be on rockets. So if you love my stupid voice and you want to hear me tell more dumb jokes. Lovely. <laughs> I've got a three-week trial later in the year and open justice is a thing, so... <laughs> no, that's a joke. Just listen, to Sarah's... <laughs> Just listen to Sarah's podcast, TED Talk. <laughs> You've been uninvited from that, just to be clear. Anyone this side of, of the fence want to share? Well, um, you know, you can listen to two in the think tank. It's got nothing to do with science. Um, but it's just me, me and my friend come up with part, uh, ste it's, uh, sketch it's ideas. It's been switched off, but it's very good. Sure. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, and we, me, me and Andy also did a uh, science comedy radio quiz for a little bit called The Pop Test. Yeah. 
which there's like two seasons of it, but they stopped giving us money to make it. So. But it's on it's online. Yeah, contact, boo! Contact oh, get Epstein to give us money to do it. Hey, oh, we'll take all Russian billionaire money. That sounds ethical. <laughs> anyway, I did a sports bet ad. I can't talk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was things. Go on, Rob. Um, uh, uh, my my uh, museum uh, has recently got an online catalogue thing up, which is really, really cool, So, because um, that stuff hasn't been seen by many people at all, and it's now up there online. If you just, like, Google Harry Brooks Allen Museum of Anatomy and Pathology. We have such a long name, I'm sorry. Um, and have a look at the website, go to the collection, and you can look through, like, a public uh, collection of uh, 1, 000, over 1,000 items from our uh, collection. That's um, cool. And it's really cool. I really wish I wasn't last. Um, <laughs> I recently moved from Adelaide. Well, well done. <laughs> I brought a lot of wine, uh, which I'll be working through over the next week. <laughs> um, you can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook, actually, because that's apparently still a thing. Uh, but not for anybody in this room, obviously. Um, didn't see any octogenarians. Um, anyway, um, yeah, red-lipped astro, red-lipped astro, um, I often wear pink lipstick, but it doesn't quite work in the name. Um, so, yeah, you can follow me there. I've been pretty silent lately, but I also write for Cosmos magazine quite frequently, so cool. please feel free to just search my name. Don't read anything else, obviously, just mine. Um, watch ABC The World every so often. I'll be on there, so watch it every night just in case. Um, and that's... Oh, and, you know, if you feel like doing physics for biomed students in 2024, please feel free to come along because I will maybe have written maybe some of that subject. But that's it. I really wish I wasn't last. <laughs> High-risk, high-reward. <laughs> All right. Wish me luck. Uh, a bit of a summary of what's happened this evening. We started with Sarah. Uh, Sarah opened with some scale about the size of the universe and said uh, that if we're going to find aliens, we can learn a lot about ourselves. For example, how much we don't like travel. Um, the Fermi paradox, she brought that in. She introduced the Fermi paradox. We, where Fermi famously, after a lunch, said, where is everybody? Um, he was too embarrassed to admit later that he wasn't talking about aliens, just the people he preferred to have lunch with. LAUGHTER uh, most things, Sarah also covered that most things we find we weren't looking for, like cholera, syphilis, and the French Foreign Legion. So there's <laughs> yeah, some things to remember. Claire hates hope. We've covered that. Um, has been spying on people in their living rooms. Not sure how. Vaguely clear why. She then made you all clap and insulted you. Negged you with you're probably dumber than aliens <laughs> and basically pointed out that uh, aliens might be bad for your self-esteem. Bold moves for a popularity contest, so <laughs> respect that. Benji uh, addressed Claire, pointing out that Claire is Benji's hero, mentor. Uh, they've looked through everything that Claire's ever done and that he's here tonight to destroy her, so that was good. Um, <laughs> Uh, he talked about the 5,000 exoplanets that are out there. I got very excited by that. I still don't know what an exoplanet is, but I know that I want one. <laughs> uh, he pointed out, when we try to do the impossible, uh, we find all this, we sort of discover and create all this good stuff on the way, like the baby ear thermometer, raising many questions about how many babies they took to space... <laughs> And how hot they got. 
Rowan might have done too many sci-fights. Uh... I'm in my progressive Baroque <laughs> But I am going to give his mum a call. So. Uh, look, he's got some childhood trauma to work through, processing it through early 90s pop culture references. Then he shat on statistics, once again through early 2000s pop culture reference. So he is making some progress as we go along. Um, then we had Jess, we shouldn't kink shame alien lovers, <laughs> postulated that maybe the search for aliens is really about the search for love. We're leaking electrons, I think we need to look into that more after the show. Um, we've done all the royal commissions on Earth, it's time to go find up fucked things in space. <laughs> ATB said that the uh, affirmative support pedophilia (laughs) uh, pointed out that whether aliens are smarter or dumber than us, it's still going to be really embarrassing for us. Uh, Why go out for aliens when we can explore for the ones we have at home? And uh, that brings us up to now. If you thought the affirmative were the superior team that we should all leave here and search for aliens in the sky, make some noise! If you thought that the negative convinced us that the risks outweigh the benefits, make some noise! Do you just like cheering and clapping? Because that was pretty even. I saw quite a few of you just cheering both times. We're not here to make friends. One more time. Affirmative. Were they the superior event? I've never done this before. Tonight's the first time. I'm declaring a tie! The real winner tonight are the Russian oligarchs that we've met along the way. You've been an absolutely delightful uh, audience. Round of applause for yourselves. Huge thank you to Hala for having us do this ridiculous nonsense. We are a podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Sci-Fi, created by him in his studios, by Mark Spencer. He's here somewhere. He's around if you need podcast support and help. Otherwise, uh, scifight.com.au. There's a newsletter you can find out where the next ridiculous thing is happening. Been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Good night. (laughs) 